0: With the Hashem's assistance, we are learning Daf Davchavtes, page 29. We begin on the very top, the top line. And here, before we begin, so we need a little background, and that is that the, the Rishus Kavoah, in regards to the Beis HaMikdash, if you're donating something to the Temple, or you're buying some, something from the Temple, so the transfer occurs as soon as the money is given over. Whereas by a regular person, so the transfer only occurs not when the money is given over, but only when you actually pull the item. Now let's read this Gemara. Let's say, a person is buying something from Hektish, from the temple, and he pulls it, and when he originally got it, so it was worth a hundred. But he hasn't paid yet, and when, he, when it comes time to pay, that the item that he was trying to purchase has actually gone up in value to be worth two hundred. So what does he have to pay, a hundred or two hundred? So the Gemara says, He has to pay two hundred, my time, what's the reason? Because the verse says, that only when does it transfer into the ownership of the person who's buying it, only when he gives the money. And therefore, despite the fact that he's pulled it, that hasn't transferred it into his possession, and it still remains in the possession of hektish And therefore, when it's gone up in value, it's gone up in value in the domain of Hektish, and therefore the person who's buying it has to pay 200, the higher amount. Let's say he pulled it and it was worth 200, and he hasn't yet paid, and it's gone down in value to be worth 100. So how much should he have to pay? You have 200. My time, what's the reason? Because the power of a regular person can't be greater than the power of the temple. And just like if a regular person, he would have pulled it, so it would have transferred into his domain, and therefore he would have acquired it at the higher value, and he would have to pay that higher value. Similarly, over here, we consider it as if he acquired it originally at that higher value, and therefore even, though normally in the case of the Bish migdash so it goes by when the money is given over, and if that's over here, it doesn't work that way. Let's say you paid $200, and you didn't get a chance to pull it, to do a Meshicha, to do an action of acquisition, until it had gone down to 100 So the original amount that you paid is what you're going to pay, you're not going to get back any money, there's no refunds. My time. What's the understanding, what's the reason? as the verse says, when you give over the money, that's when it transfers into your possession let 's say you redeemed it meaning you paid for it with a hundred dollars and you didn 't have a chance to pull it until it went up to two hundred so in this case. So, that which you have paid, you've paid, and you only pay 100, and you don't pay 200. Am I? So the question is why? Here too, we should say that the power of a regular person isn't greater than hektish, because a, a regular person, so when is it transferred into his possession? It's only transferred when he actually pulls it, and not when he pays it. So by a regular person, it would seem that you would, you have to indeed pay the higher amount. So over here also, you should have to pay the higher amount to the base of English. My answer is no. to A regular person wouldn't he have a curse upon him? Meaning, true, technically he would be able to get the higher amount. The, the person who's selling the item, however, a person who would do such a thing would incur a curse. The Torah says that such a person who does this, who takes the higher amount, even though he's already agreed and been paid, so then he gets a curse. However, technically he would be able to do it. So, despite the fact that technically it is possible, nevertheless there is a curse, and therefore the base in English certainly, the temple certainly would not do such a thing. Now we we'll begin the Mishnah Masnisin. All mitzvos that in regards to the son the father, it's incumbent upon him to do, So only fathers have an obligation to do these mitzvos for their children, and not their mothers. However, in regards to the mitzvah of the father that's incumbent upon the son, Both men and women are, machuiv, are obligated in of aim in honoring their parents. All positive commandments that are time-bound. So men are obligated and women are not. Any positive commandments that are not time-bound, both men and women are obligated. Any negative commandments that so the Torah says, you shall not. So, and even though they're time-bound, or whether they're time-bound or whether they're not time-bound, both men and women are obligated. Except for the isurim of shaving off the sideburns and and destroying the beard, and a kohen is not allowed to become impure by by coming in close contact with the dead. So, despite the fact that these are losa they are negative commandments, prohibitions, nevertheless, women are not included in these prohibitions. Now we begin the Gemara. My commandments is Aben HaAv. What does it mean? All of the commandments of the son on the father. So we explained that in the Mishnah, but at this point in the Gemara, we didn't understand that. is the Borel La If it's talking about all commandments, the son is incumbent upon him to do for his father. and paturos would it be true that women are? Exempt. The verse says a man has to fear his parents All I know is a man How do I know that it's also incumbent upon a woman When the verse says A man, his mother and his father, he shall fear So I'm sorry, they shall fear So the verse is plural It says at the end that they shall fear So it's including more than one person Not just a man but even a woman This is what it means in the Mishnah all commandments of the son or in regards to the son that are incumbent upon the father to do for his son so men are obligated and women are exempt this has to do with that which we learned in the B'raisei. A father, it's incumbent upon him to give his son a circumcision, and to redeem him if he's a firstborn male, and to teach him Torah, and to marry him off, and to teach him a craft. Now those who say that he even has to go and teach him how to swim. Reb says that whoever doesn't teach his son a craft doesn't give him a livelihood, so he has taught him to be a robber. Does it mean literally that he's going to actually? He actually, is, he's taught him to be a robber. It's as if he's taught him to be a robber, and the reason is because since a person, if a person doesn't have any way to provide for his family, so then he's going to go out and he's going to, have to rob. So that's why it's considered as if he's taught his son to be a robber. We continue lamulu, Lamulo. to give him a circumcision. How do we know that this is true? That a father has this obligation. The verse says. Abraham gave his son Isaac a circumcision. So now, so it's interesting, why did the verse, why did the Gemara choose to bring this verse as opposed to bringing the verse earlier where Avram gives a, a Milah gives a circumcision to Yishmael? And I think the un- understanding is because all that proves is that he had to do it then when God gave the original commandment. How do we know that it was true that it was incumbent upon him to do it even subsequently? So that's what we see from this verse. This verse proves that in fact he had to give it to Yitzchak as well, which was, which was something that happened a year later. And how do we know that it's true in regards to later generations? So that's what the Gemara is going to say soon. That if the father hasn't given his son a circumcision, so the court has to do it. How do we know? says, You shall give a circumcision to all of your males. And that's speaking to the public. So it's incumbent upon the courts. How do we know that if a person... The court hasn't done it for him; that he has to do it for himself. The chesiv, as the verse says, any male who is uncircumcised, who has not removed his foreskin, he shall be cut off. So obviously, it's an obligation on him to make sure that his soul is not cut off from his people. How do we know that a woman is not obligated to do this for her son? The chesiv, as the verse says, as God commanded him, him and not her. So all we find is that it's true for that immediate time for for Avram Avinu. How do we know that it's for all generations? of the Rabbi We learned the Yeshiva Rabbi had the following brayza. Call Wherever the verse says command, number one, it's coming to to encourage one to do it quickly. And as well, it's coming to teach us that it's now and also for all generations. Ziras Diksev. How do we know that it's coming to say to do it quickly? As the verse says, you shall command Joshua, and strengthen him greatly. So that's, that's showing that it has to be done right away. And it's something that, that's coming to encourage him greatly. Said, we know that it's not just for that time, but for all generations. The verse said, From the day that God commanded you and onwards for all your generations. Thus we see that the word tziva, command, doesn't just apply for that time, but it also applies for all times. Now the Gemara continues, We said that the father has an obligation to redeem his son. You know, and how do we know this? Because the verse says, All the firstborns of your son you shall redeem. If the father has not redeemed him, So he has to do it himself. verse says, So that's the Girsah of our Gemara. The riff has a slightly different girsa, and it helps us understand it a lot better, and also helps us understand the Hemshech, the continuation of the Gemara. His girsa is, and what it means is that since the word tifta can be read as tippadeh, so what it's teaching you is that not only does someone else have to redeem him, but he has to make sure that he himself is redeemed. Tipadeh means he shall be redeemed. So he has to make sure that that happens. So that teaches us that he has the obligation as well. Vihi mean alandalamifkada, how do another woman is not obligated to redeem her son? As the as a verse says tipadeh, tifteh. As the verse says, since it can be read tifde or tippade, it's teaching you. its atzma, whoever is obligated to redeem himself, which is tippade, mitzuveliftais is achirim. So then, they're obligated to redeem others. whoever is not obligated to redeem herself, meaning the woman, acherem So she is not obligated to redeem others. So therefore, she's not obligated to redeem her son. So now the gemara says, How do we know that a woman is not obligated to redeem herself? Because the verse says tifde tipade The verse can be read in two different ways, it can be read as talking about someone else doing it or the person himself doing it. And therefore, whoever others are commanded to redeem them, is also commanded to redeem himself. Whoever others are not obligated to redeem, so they don't have an obligation to redeem themselves either. So therefore, a woman, since no one is obligated to redeem her, she's not obligated to redeem herself. And since she's not obligated to redeem herself, she's also not obligated to redeem her own son. So how do we know that others are not obligated to redeem her? Because the verse says, all the firstborn males of your sons you shall redeem your sons and not your daughters Tanah Rabbanan the Gemara continues let's say he needs to be redeemed because his father did not redeem him and he also needs to redeem his son So, he has to redeem himself first before he redeems his son. Rabbi Hudah says, no, The son comes first. Because redeeming himself was really a commandment that was upon his own father. However, the commandment to redeem his son is an obligation upon him. And therefore, he should redeem his own son first. Rabbi Yomir says, Everyone agrees. We turn to Khahtasimbase, page twenty nine B. If you only have exactly five slams, exactly the amount you need to redeem someone, So he goes first, my time. What's the reason? Mitzvah de Gufe Adifa. Because his own mitzvah, the mitzvah that's incumbent upon himself, redeeming himself, that comes first when do they argue about whether the sun comes first, where you have five slum, meaning the amount of money that's necessary to redeem. So you have that amount, which is extant in a place which is encumbered, and you have five that are available freely. Rabbi Rabbi Yehuda says like this, When you have a loan that's written in the Torah, meaning the Torah obligates you to pay this money to the Kohen. So it's as if it's written in a document, and therefore... And therefore, the money that's encumbered is still obligated to the Kohen. Meaning, originally, this father, so he was born, and the money was owed to the Kohen. And now, the, that money, or that value, went and it was sold, or was given over to somebody else, let's say, five, sell a piece of land. And now, so with that piece of land, really, the Kohen has rights to take, because he was obligated th- that it would be paid to him first. So now what happens? So now the son has a son and he has five free slime in order to pay for his son. So in such a case, so since the Kohen can go to those nechasim meshubadim, he can go to those encumbered properties, so therefore we're going to say that the free money, so that goes to the, towards the son's payment. Bahani hamish, with these five that are free, park libre. So he redeems his son, v'ozal kohen, and the Kohen goes v'tarf leh meshubadim l'dideh. In regards to him, meaning the man himself, not his son, so the Kohen can go and get those encumbered properties. The all the, the, the rabbis hold that even though it's something that's written in the Torah that this money is owed to the kohen, nevertheless it's not considered like, like it's written in a document. And since you only have five slime, meaning the encumbered slime cannot be are not available, they can't be used. Therefore, he has, to use it, he has to fulfill his own obligation on his own body to redeem himself first before he redeems his son. We learned in the Bible, if he has a choice between redeeming his son or going up to the Besamigdash, on the festival So the rabbis hold that what you do first is you redeem your son and then if you have anyone left over so you use that to go but the preference the thing that comes first is redeeming your son before going up to the base of Rabbi Yehuda says No, the preference goes to actually going up to the Beis HaMikdash Why? Because if you don't go up to, the, to do Ali Regal, if you don't go up to the Beis HaMikdash that's a mitzvah that passes by but the mitzvah of Pideon haben is going to be here no matter what so it's preferable to do the midst of the passes by and later on you're going to, do, to be able to do the Pigeon bend to redeem your son. We understand according to Rabbi Tami, like he says, that explanation. What's the reason of the rabbis who say that you should redeem your son? Because the verse says, First, the verse says, All your firstborn sons you shall redeem. And the end of that verse says, You can't miss out on a regal." Thus, we see the verse itself is stating that there's a preference to first go and redeem your son before you actually come up to the base of Megdash. How do we know that if he has five sons from five different women, that if they're all firstborns of the wives, so he has to redeem them. That's what the verse says. All the firstborns of your sons you shall redeem. So the, the verse says, All of them. Thus implying that you even have to do it, even if it's not your firstborn, but it's the firstborn of the woman. The wife says, Wait, it's obvious. The verse says that it has to be the firstborn of the wife. So how, why would you think that it has to be also the firstborn of the husband? You might have thought that we would learn out connection from b'chor. we also. To find another concept of Bukhur in regards to inheritance. Reaches, oh no, just like we find over there, that in order for someone to benefit from being the firstborn and get double the portion in an inheritance, he has to be the firstborn of the father. Ono, oh So maybe over here also, besides being the firstborn of the woman, it also has to be his firstborn. Kamash malon, that's why the verse says, call Bukhur benachadifta all of the firstborns. It could be more than one firstborn, it could be even as long as it's the firstborn of the wife. Now the Gemara continues. To teach him Torah, we said there's an obligation upon the father to teach his son Torah. How do we know this? Because the verse says, You shall teach it to, the, to your sons. And where the father has not taught him, is to teach himself. As the verse says, This is a different verse that's also in Devarim. in chapter 5. And it says that you shall learn. So it teaches us that each person is obligated on his own to learn, even if his father has not taught him. Even though the lamechayva, had another woman is not obligated to teach her son the because the verse says and the verse also says So what is it teaching us? Because we have two different verses, it's teaching us as follows: kol shemitzuvah, little moad, whoever is commanded to to learn. Mitzvah Also, is commanded to teach. Anyone who is not commanded to learn is not commanded to teach, and therefore, since she doesn't have an obligation herself to learn, she also does not have an obligation to teach. How do we know that she doesn't have to learn herself? Because the verse says, "Vili One verse says, "Vili you shall teach." One verse says, "You shall learn." Anyone who others are commanded to teach him, so he is also. Uh, commanded to teach as Asma himself. Anyone who others are not commanded to teach him is not commanded to teach others, as Asma sorry to teach himself. So since a woman no one is commanded to teach her, so therefore she's not commanded to teach herself. How do we know that others are not commanded to teach her? Because the verse says, "So the verse says you shall teach your sons, your sons and not your daughters." So therefore, since there's no one who's commanded to teach her, she's not commanded to teach herself, and she's also not commanded to teach her son. If it's a choice between a person learning or his son learning, who benayi, so he has the first dibs on learning. Rabbi Huda Aymer, in benayi zarzim loomolach, Rabbi says, if his son is quick and bright, is and his learning is not forgotten easily, benayi so the son goes first. Rev brother of Ahabar Yaakov, like the story with Raviakov the son of Rev Ahabar Yaakov, so his father sent him in front of Abai to learn. Ki also, when Rav Achabar Yaakov came to check out his son, he saw that he didn't have his, his sugius, the learning that he was doing, he didn't have it so clear. He said, I'm more important than you in this respect. ana, You go back home, I'm going to go learn. Abay heard that Rev Ahabar Yaakov was coming. There was a certain demon that was in the, in the base medrash, the Abaye, of Abaye. The Chiyabah, Ily betraying, even though they were coming two by two, even during the day, So this demon would cause damage. So Abaye is said to all the people in the base medrash, When Ravach HaB'Yaqub comes, please no one offer him any kind of place to stay. and Nisa because maybe he'll stay in the base medish, and a miracle will occur and the demon will be gotten rid of once and for all. All so Bar came, boss, he slept there, Bahu Bay in that base Majrish. So the demon appeared to him like a serpent with seven heads. called Kriya Dakura, not our So Ravachar Bar Yaakov, any time that he would bow down, it seems in during his prayer, so what would happen was one of the heads would get chopped off. Amr Hula Machar, the next day he said to them, if not for the fact that a miracle had occurred, so you, had put me, you would have put me in danger, meaning it was quite dangerous for me to be there with this demon. So the question that, that, that the Mephorshim ask is, how could Abayah put him in, in a place of danger? So one of the explanations that Ben Yehoyada says is that Chas Hashem, wasn't telling them that he shouldn't host him if he came to their houses. What Abai wanted was, what, was that Rav Bar Yaakov should have an option. If he was really in danger, then Rav Bar Yaakov could have knocked on someone's door. However, from the fact that Rav HaKabar Yaakov stayed in the Beis Medrash, and, and he felt that he could handle this demon, so to speak, so that was clear that he didn't really put him in danger. But Rav HaKabar Yaakov was really just saying, you know, if not for the fact that a nace had occurred, a miracle had occurred, and I was successful. So then I would have been in danger, but if, by heaven forbid, we wouldn't have placed them in a, in a place of danger. Tan raban, we learn in a brisa. Let's say a person wants to know, should he learn Torah first or should he get married first? He should first learn and then get married. And if he afterly, he can't. He can't continue living without a wife. Then better that he should get married first and then learn Torah. Rabbi Yehuda said the name of Shmuel. Halacha, halacha is nicer. When it comes down to luck, what should you do? You should first get married and then you should learn Torah. Rabbi Yechonon Rabbi says, "No, Yechem is a very Torah. Can it be you're going to have all of this responsibility upon your neck and you're going to be involved in learning Torah? How can you pro- properly learn Torah? How can you possibly learn Torah if you're busy worrying about your parnasa, your livelihood?" So it's not an argument between Shmuel and Rabbi Yechonon, rather it depends what we're talking about. According to Shmuel according to the best explanation that I understand. So according to Shmuel, he's talking about, he says, that first you should get married. Why? Because he was talking about in Bavel. In Bavel, so the, the women there would work. And therefore, a person wouldn't have to be responsible to take care of his family, for his livelihood. And therefore, it's better to get married, because then you take care of the taiva, you take care of the issues with desire, and you can learn properly. Whereas, Rabbi Yechon was talking in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel, so the women, the kola wives, so to speak, they wouldn't, they wouldn't go out and work. So therefore, the husband would have to be in charge of parnasia, would have to be in charge of their livelihood. And that would be a tremendous burden and he wouldn't be able to learn properly so that's why he said first better to learn and then get married the Gemara continues Rav Khizli was speaking to Rav Huna and he was praising Rav Hamnuna and saying that Rav Hamnuna was a great person so Rav Huna responded and said when he comes to you bring him to me when so when he came, when Rav came, so Rav Huna saw that he didn't have a head covering on my he said to him, why don't you have a head covering on he said cuz I'm not married. Uh journala So Rafuna turned his face away from the He didn't want to look at him. khazil khazis nasvis. He says see, that I'm not going to see your face until you go and get married. Rafun al Tameh or it's Rafuna coin to his own reasoning, the Amar because he says, Banesim Shonavel Nasah Isha, a person who's twenty years old and he hasn't gotten married, Kalyamavera. So all of his days he's spending transgressing, many Averis, many sins. Bah veras that we believe that a person like this is doing sins. Allah emo cally ma behuravera. Rather it means that all of his days he spent thinking about transgressions. I'm a Rava. Rava says, Similarly, we had a brace of the Rav Yishmol in the Yeshiva of Rav Yishmol they learned. until 20 years, the Yoshev of Kodesh Baruch Hu Mitzapala of the Hashem is waiting for a person and he's thinking, when is this person going to get married? Kevin when he gets to the age of 20, he still hasn't gotten married. So Hashem says, let his bones rot. On Rav Chizda. Chizda says, Hyda mm-hmm. Adifna This said I was greater than my than my friends, the Sivda Meshitzar, is because I got married when I was sixteen years old. If you got if I would have gotten married when I was fourteen years old, Havaminal Sutton, I would have said to the Satan to the Yitzhahara, that these should be arrows in your eyes. With Hashem's help, we'll continue from here in the next daily daf.